Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on page 44, the last bottom paragraph of the page. We are finishing up the third Shema blessing. There's three blessings of the Shema. The Shema is sandwiched between. Uh, there's two blessings that precede the Shema, and there's one post-Shema blessing. It serves as a bridge between the Shema and the Amidah. We started it last week. From Vyatsiv and Nachon, it's true and certain and established. Made the 15 expressions of affirmation composed by, at least according to some people, composed by the Jews of Spain when they were reluctant to go back to the temple. They wanted to show their commitment. New glasses. <laughs> the blessing, though, continues. The, this, this next paragraph, bottom of the page, Ezrat Avoteinu. You have always been the help of our fathers. This is a continuation of the blessing. It's not a, even though it's a separate paragraph, it, it really is part of the same blessing. And it concludes in the middle of one, uh, in the middle of 45, right before the Amidah. Goal Yisrael, the Redeemer of Israel, or who delivered Israel. Let's run through just the first part of the blessing, just to get an understanding of the gist of the blessing here. Are you with me? Okay. You have always been the help of our fathers, a shield and deliverer to them and to their children and after them in every generation. The, the theme of this blessing is extolling and extolling God and praising God for the redemption. In fact, with this blessing, you can fulfill the biblical commandment of mentioning the redemption of Egypt daily. This line that we're about to read, the third line, caught my attention. Your habitation is in the heights of the universe, and your judgments and justice extend to the ends of the earth. For, for some reason, I find that to be inspiring. We perceive God. Now, we, we know. We know, right? We, we're in on the secret. God is everywhere, right? There's no place where God is not. But perceptually, God seems to be in heaven. Seems abstract. He seems somewhere there. <laughs> somewhere not here, right? <laughs> Your habitation where God we God wants to be mo most comfortable here in this world, which is why he sent us here, <laughs> right? He charged us, uh, us, I mean, like literally everybody, charged us with this mission to make it more comfortable. But presently, God seems to be more comfortable in heaven, right? Your habitation is in the heights of the universe. But your judgments and justice extend to the ends of the earth. You're still very much relevant in this world. Which is why you've redeemed us. <laughs> what does he care about us? If he's in heaven. What does he care about us for? It's incredible to think about that. Think about how many people there. How many people are there? Eight billion people almost. So as a human being, you're 180, you're one eight billionth of existence and that's just of humans let alone plants people insects <laughs> as a jewish person what are we in the bigger scheme of things put that in context of all the spiritual worlds beyond the physical realms that we experience and it's like what are we do we really have any value apparently god wants his judgments and justice to extend to the ends of the earth he wants to be relevant to everybody. 
We then say four expressions in the Hebrew of emet. We say truly this, truly that. There's four expressions of emet. Number one, we'll just go through them quickly. Truly happy is the man who heeds your commandments and takes to heart your Torah and your word. We're fortunate. We're thankful for the opportunity that God's mitzvahs and God's values actually matter to us and can be relevant to us on an emotional level. We can take it to our heart. Truly, you're the master of your people and mighty king to wage their battle for the fathers and sons. God fights for us. Again, we're reaffirming different truths. Truly, you're the first and you're the last. And beside you, we have no king, redeemer, or and deliverer. But God was the beginning of existence. He's the end of existence. It was the, the nothing preceded him. Nothing is going to outdate him, um, which makes him different than every other existence. Anything else that existed, Maimonides talks about this in his description of God, that anything else that exists other than God was preceded by something. God. <laughs> Right, Everything was preceded by something, and everything is going to be outdated by something. God is preceded by nothing and outdated by nothing. God is unchanging. And because of that, he's He's in charge. He's the one that has the ability to, to fight our battles, to redeem us. The next expression, truly, you redeemed us from Egypt, Lord our God. You freed us from the house of bondage. You slew all the firstborn, but you redeemed Israel, your firstborn. We as a people collectively are, are, are God's firstborn child. The Baal Shem Tov used to talk about this, how God is how God loves every single Jew like a like somebody who just loves their uh, an only child. You know, elderly parents who are waiting for this child to happen. And they're they're granted just that one child. They're just obsessed and they spoil that child. God's in love with us. You split for them the sea. Of reeds, where God split the Red Sea for us, drowned the wicked, took your beloved people across the waters, engulfed their adver uh, adversaries. Not one of them remained. Take a look on this next page. For this, the cherished people praised and exalted God. Right, we're recounting what happened after the, the, the crossing of the sea. We praised God. We sang right the song by the sea, which we learned about earlier. The beloved ones offered hymns, songs, and praises, blessings, and thanksgiving to the King, the living, the eternal God. Okay, I'm going to read a couple more lines because there's one particular line that I'm getting at here. He is lofty and exalted, great and awesome. He humbles the haughty to the ground and raises the lowly to the supreme heights, right? He drowned the Egyptians. They were all haughty. He lifted up the Jews. He frees the captives, redeems the humble, helps the needy. It is he who answers his people when they cry out to him. They offered praises to the sublime God. We're just recounting history here. Their Redeemer, blessed be he. And he is blessed. Moses and the children of Israel with great joy raised their voices in song to you. And they all proclaimed, Me kamocha be'elam Hashem, who is like you, God. We did it with joy. We sang to God. And we accepted God with an incredible joy. And we did it in unison. One of the miracles, by the way, of the song by the sea that we're recounting right here 
one of the miracles is the fact that we all sang the same song. There was no choir practice. You had three million Jewish people that witnessed this miracle and in unison sang to God without any prior choir practice. That's wild, man. The uniting, the, the unifying power of music, the unifying power of song, of singing to God, was very much accentuated at this point. Where we all proclaimed, quote, Micha Mocha Hashem. That's a quote from the song by the sea from the Az Yashir. That's why it's referred to in the next paragraph, Shira Chadasha. You see it there? It's a new song. Where did the song come from? <laughs> It was a new song. The redeemed people extolled your great name at the seashore. All of them in unison gave thanks and acclaimed your sovereignty and said, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. It was at this point that we truly recognized God. We conclude the entire paragraph with, Blessed are you, Lord, who delivered Israel, Baruch Atah Hashem, Goal Yisrael. He who has redeemed Israel. We're simply just thanking God for the past. There's a powerful lesson here in what true freedom is. Here's what the Talmud says. The Talmud says that a person needs to make sure there's no interruption between this blessing and the Amidah. And halakhically, you're not supposed to interrupt at this point. Um, you know, finish the blessing, go al Yisrael, and let's say you finished it before the uh, the minion is there even re- whatever it is you got to start the meter right away. Can't interrupt, right? Don't do breakfast yet at this point. <laughs> Don't do anything at this point. You can't even respond amen to other blessings. You can't respond amen to kaddish at this point. That, that's why it's an S. That's why it says. It says actually says in text, do not respond on Amen. You can't, yeah, you can't even say Amen to the Chazan who says Baruch Hashem Gual Yisrael. Which is why if you're like if you're not up to here yet, like if you're say somewhere else where you can respond Amen to other prayers, can you respond Amen to this? Depending on where you are. Uh you have to look at the chart in the back. Um but but um but at this point you can't if if you said Baruch Hashem, you can't that that's why the tradition is everybody recites the blessing together. So you're not in a situation where you have to say, I mean, in some communities, the tradition is the chazin concludes the blessing silently. Same idea. It's just a logistical hack where you're not in a position that you need to say amen. Halacha is very strict about not intercept not interrupting between Baruch Atah Hashem Gual Yisrael, blessed he who has redeemed Israel, and then starting the Amidah. Start that meter right away. Let it be seamless. To the point, by the way, that the Talmud says something fascinating. This is in Brachos. Tracte Brachos. This appears twice in Brachos. Uh, at least twice. Once in the beginning. Mike, you're, you're up to your... Where are you guys up to? I was thinking of you when I was preparing this today. We're just starting uh, the Shema. Do you remember roughly which page? You passed page four? Okay, it's fine. It's fine. No worries. No worries. No worries. 
The Talmud says something quite extreme. Quotes the sage Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan says, Ezehu ben Olam Haba. Who is the prototype that uh, gets to enter the world of paradise? Anyone who doesn't interrupt between the blessing of Goal Yisrael, this blessing, the Redeemer of Israel, and the Amidah. If you continue those two blessings seamlessly, you go to Olam Haba, you go to the world of uh, the world to come, you go to the world of paradise. <laughs> and commentaries say, what? <laughs> That's what it takes? <laughs> you kidding me? What's the big deal? You're telling me that all I got to do is finish this blessing and start the Amidah right away. It's not a big deal, right? And I'm a Ben Olam Haba. I get to go to the world to come. I get to enter paradise because of that. There's a number of commentaries that address this. Rashi, just right there on the page, says, well, if, if you don't start the Amida right away, it, you know, it's, it's a lost opportunity. You've just praised God for taking you out of Egypt. Now you have the opportunity to ask for whatever you want. You're going to give up that opportunity and just, I'll ask God for things later. <laughs> you just developed a rapport. It's like developing a, a, a relationship with the king, knocking on his door and then running away. Ding dong ditch. <laughs> Don't do that. That's what Rashi says. Another commentary has another insight. He says, you just expressed your trust for God. And you can now feel confident he's going to, you know, he, you trust God. He took you out of Egypt in the past. He delivered in the past. You now can trust that he's going to deliver going forward. So now your Amida is going to be with extra concentration. Don't lose the opportunity. This is an opportune time. I recently read a third interpretation, though. And this third interpretation really defines what freedom is. There's a myth. The myth is that Moses went to Pharaoh while the Jews were slaves in Egypt and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Doesn't say that. He's, I mean, this is part of that, right? Context. Pharaoh, let my people go so they can serve God. I'm paraphrasing, but so they can serve God. Because freedom is not where you're running from. Freedom is about where you're running to. It's not enough just to say, thank you, God, for redeeming us from Egypt. Thousands of years ago, we're now free. <laughs> Great. What are we going to do with that freedom? That's the Amida. The Amida is the nucleus of prayer. Or really, the, the climax of prayer. That the entire prayer is leading up to. And we're going to learn more about the Amida in the coming weeks. The entire prayer service up until now, the entire 45 pages of the Siddur thus far, is building us up to the Amida. It's like the ladder that the Zohar describes. Jacob's ladder. Going up closer and closer to our best selves. And if we're just going to celebrate freedom and say, now we're free, we're not oppressed, yay. You can't do that. We can't do that. That's not what freedom is. 
Freedom is not what I'm free from. It's what I'm free to do. Who I'm free to be. The Amida is serving God on this mountain. We're standing in front of God with our feet together. We take three steps back, three steps forward. We're approaching the king. We prostrate ourselves. We bow down. We praise God and we ask for our needs. Because we realize whom we're reliant on. In fact, the Talmud refers to the Amida as Avoda, the service of the heart. This is where we emotionally connect. The Amida is deep. The Amida is a deep part of the connection. It's the deepest part of the connection in some ways. And if we're just going to celebrate what we're free to do, but not actually do it, we're missing the point. If we celebrate religious freedom, but don't do anything with that religious freedom, that's a problem. What I'm about to say might not be so popular, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's just debating. <laughs> One of the most, I think, I, I don't want to use extreme language, but I don't want to use the word dangerous. I'm trying to find a little bit more of a mellow term. Spiritually uh, unsafe, as far as Jewish continuity is concerned, is to obsess about the Holocaust and our freedom from Holocaust and our freedom from oppression, but not take it to the next step. It's not a good thing. We have to remember the Holocaust, of course. But we can't just celebrate that we have no more oppressors. Now what? We're Jews. Now what? God redeemed us from Egypt. Now what? What's the next step? We are free from, but what are we free to do? You know where you see this idea in the Torah? With Yaakov, our patriarch, Jacob. Yaakov is on the run. He stole the birthright from his twin brother, fair and square. <laughs> his brother wants to kill him. And he's running away. And you, you got to just analyze for a moment. Think about the emotional state what Yaakov was experiencing on the inside. His brother wants to kill him. He's got to leave his home. He's got no money, no possessions. He just took the shirt off his back, that shirt with it on his back, and, and that's pretty much it. He's about to go to his uncle's house, who is, you know, to hide out. And he knows his uncle's not uh, a nice Jewish boy chick. As we see later on, his uncle duped him multiple times. He's going to live with corruption, leave his spiritual comfort. What do I need this for? He's on the run. And um, while on the run, he goes and takes a nap and has a dream. The dream with a ladder, right? He has this dream that there's a ladder from floor to heaven, with angels going up, angels going down. And God tells him, Jacob, 
Don't worry, man. I got you. I'm paraphrasing. God didn't say, don't worry, man. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I got you. You're going to be good. You're going to be good. Your offspring are going to be like the dust of the earth. You're going to be numerous. You're going to be resilient. You're going to be fertile. You're going to be good. There's going to be continuity. There's going to be purpose. There's going to be meaning. You're going to be fine. Yaakov wakes up and he's excited. And the Torah says, Vayisa Yaakov, it's Raglav Yaakov, lifted up, carried his legs. Or his legs carried Yaakov, as Rashi says. The excitement gave him this burst. And commentaries wonder, what is this expression? Is his legs carried him? <laughs> or like Rashi says, there was this energy burst. You know, your legs carry you when you're excited. You dance, you move. But there's another commentary that I read. Rabbi Ovadia Seforno, one of the classic commentaries on the Torah. He was from Italy in the 15th century. And here's what he explains. Up until now, Yaakov wasn't running to anywhere. I mean, he was going to go to Lavan's house. He had a physical destination. But the whole purpose was just don't get killed. That was life. At this point, life was a He stole the birthright so he could not get killed. <laughs> What is the point in that? I stole a birthright so I could live life meaningfully and perpetuate Judaism. I stole a birthright so I could just survive for my, for my brother and not get killed. What is the purpose? His life, He thought life was about running away from harm. He goes to sleep. He has this dream. God informs him of what the future is going to be like. And now his legs carry him. He's excited. He had somewhere to go. Not just a physical destination, a, a geographical destination. But he has spiritual purpose and meaning. There was a purpose to his life now. It's not just about not being killed by Esau or by the oppressors or by the anti-Semites. But there's an actual purpose. That's why he says later, Im Lavan Garti, I've lived with Lavan. And Rashi says that the word garti, has been, I lived with, I dwelled with, has the numerical value of 613. I've lived with Lavan and still maintain, onto my, my, maintain my values, the 613 mitzvahs. I still remain connected. In fact, he saw this as a shlichus. He saw this as a calling. Now being with Lavan was no longer a mechanism of escape, but was actually a purpose. How many times in life do we have difficult situations, difficult challenges, and we we want to run away from them? It's normal. It's a normal thing to do. We want to run away from problems. But we have to ask ourselves, where are we running to? Not where are we running from? That's real freedom. We finished the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem, Goal Yisrael, blessed you, Lord, who has redeemed or delivered Israel. But we have to continue the Amida right away. That has to channel into something meaningful, into something purposeful, into a, a, a deep connection.
There's a fourth, actually, fourth explanation. Okay, before we get to the fourth explanation, any questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? Okay, so the fourth explanation. Let, let's look at this historic from a historical lens for a second. We left Egypt, right? We're supposed to go to that mountain, which is like the Amida, the connection. Go to that mountain to receive the Torah. And there was a break. There was a break between leaving Egypt and going to the mountain. How many days of a break were there? 50 days. 49. Right? Yeah, 49 days. There was the 50 days. 50, 49 days of the Omer, right? Shavuos is on the 50th day. And what happened when there was this break? This week's special Torah reading. Who infiltrated? Amalek. Amalek, right? When there is a gap, when there's a gap in our spirituality, Amalek comes and infiltrates for no good reason. Theoretically, if we were at a point, and we weren't, but if we were at a point where we could receive the Torah immediately upon leaving Egypt, there would be no opportunity for Amalek to infiltrate. If we celebrate our freedom as we do in this blessing and don't channel that into the Amida, don't channel that into our purpose and meaning and deep connection with God immediately, we're allowing space. We're allowing space for Amalek. We're allowing space for you know, Amalek has the numerical value of suffix doubts. We're allowing space for doubts. We're allowing space for cynicism. Yeah, I'm free, but now what? Yeah, I, I could do what I want. I could. We're allowing space. What did Amalek do, by the way, that was so bad? The Torah says, Asher karcha They, karcha means they came up. They happened to have encountered you on the way, and they saw opportunity to, to infiltrate. Rashi says that the word karcha comes from the Hebrew word kor, cold. They cooled you down. Amalek said, you guys left Egypt and you're free and you're inspired and let's relax. Don't be so inspired. It looks like you're muted. Um, Yeah, you're muted. Sorry. How about now? Okay. Uh, does the name Korach come from that similar root um good question not exactly because the ches at the end but korach could have that connotation of like a like a icy it might have that same connotation good question good question because korach was a cynic um amalek came in and amalek is that voice inside that cynical voice that says dude when you're inspired you look ridiculous <laughs> Because you're the the fact is inspired people are weird. <laughs> They're doing things differently than everybody else. An inspired Jew is going to stick out. And the Malik comes and says, just be like everybody else. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> and the solution is we gotta erase a Malik, cut out opportunity for a Malik to come. Close the gap between recognizing that we're free to do what we want. Do something about it right away. Go Yisrael, the Redeemer of Israel, right away, Amida. 
the gap between what we're free from and what we're free to do. We got to seal that gap. Otherwise, Amalek will infiltrate. Ironically, we're going to be learning about this Shmona Esrei, not right away. I mean, right? <laughs> we'll wait an entire week. Okay, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it.